You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It's show number seven for January 27th, 2021. Uh, and today's show, we're going to be giving uh, something a little bit different, our coding origin stories. And we figured since there's four of us, we'll break it up into two parts. Today, we're going to do part one with Ben and Tim. And then I guess next week, we will do part two with myself, Adam, and Carol. And uh, just kind of find out what uh, makes these people tick and who they are. And I guess another reason is that uh, some of the early feedback that we've gotten from the podcast was that some of our voices are kind of similar. So we thought this might be a good way for people to get to know us a little bit and uh, and familiarize yourselves with who the person is and who their voice is. You guys should all just talk deeper. Then you won't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carol. <laughs> See? There you go. Hi, uh, I'm K-Roll. <laughs> Uh, but before we get to that, let's do our triumphs and fails. Um, Carol, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I feel like I have a kind of a mixture. Um, I know you, I've mentioned it before. I started a new job, which is now hitting the four-month mark. Woohoo! Ooh, four months, nice. Number, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point in what we do. I think you're kind of getting your your feet wet and figuring out things. This week, I um kind of like took a little depressed moment, I guess. I don't know. I just kind of felt like I'm not getting enough done. Like, am I learning enough? Like, it, are people like wondering what I'm doing? And it just kind of was a little bit of a rough patch for me the first three days of this week. But then um, yesterday got handed some work from two other devs to kind of go, we do design buddies and have started working with them on like a bigger project. And that's totally just kind of like flip my my attitude or like my mentality back around to being super motivated again and not feeling so much like, do I even know what I'm doing anymore? Because nice. it was, yeah, Monday and Tuesday was was pretty rough. So then Wednesday turned out good. So, I mean, I guess it's a triumph and failure because, you know, I probably shouldn't have let myself get so freaked out wondering if I'm doing okay. And then, you know, I don't know. How we get cool? Can you very briefly talk a little bit about Design Buddies? Is that something akin to pair programming? Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. But whenever you start an effort, we get with someone and just go, "Hey, this is what we're thinking about doing." You know, here's the architect that we're looking at designing. Here's how we're thinking about implementing it. You know, here's what we're looking at. You know, what it's going to be touching. This is what we want to do. So there's hmm. three of us working on this big project. Um, it's pretty pretty detailed. Um, okay. And, you know, we just work together on it now. So as we go forward, we'll release it in smaller chunks rather than all of it all at once. Cool. So it's like pair planning. Yeah. Pre and then we code it together to you. So, okay. But cool. not, you don't always code it together. Like sometimes you just do the design side. Nice. So, yeah. How about you, Ben? Uh, my big triumph this week is that I made something without using JavaScript. What? Which what is, how? Yeah. <laughs> does you know, not like, compute. Yeah, my my default instinct is to spin up some sort of an Angular JS or Angular style right. application, and uh, I have this little graph that I wanted to make, kind of a bar chart, like a uh, a rotated bar chart. And uh, I thought, oh, I'll do the calculations. That's, I believe and, that's also called a bar chart. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I thought, you know, my, my initial thought was I'll just dump the data into an Angular application. Then I'll do all the calculations and layout in Angular. And um, I was about to do that. And then I discovered the CSS selector colon target, which I had never heard of before. And apparently it's a really, really old uh, CSS selector that will match the URL fragment to an ID in the document. So you can basically say when this element matches the the hash code and the URL, you can apply styling. And uh, I ended up using that to hide and show things based on clicks within the document. And uh, and so basically I pushed all of the the number calculation into the server side, the cold fusion code, and then it just dumps out uh, you know, a huge HTML and CSS file and it's interactive, you know, very limited interactivity, but, um, it was just really nice to be able to, to kind of go back to the basics a little bit and build something without a lot of the, uh, the overhead that might come from a, from a JS framework. That's cool. Framework. It took me a minute to figure out what you were talking about there, but it sounds like, so you're talking about it like a URL fragment, like hash, ID or whatever on the end of the URL. And then based on that, you hide or show part of the page using CSS. Yeah. And so basically you can do things like have a bunch of divs, for example, and they're all display none by default. And then as the URL fragment changes, you can say, well, this div that matches that URL fragment ID, now I can show this div. So you can, you can create kind of rudimentary uh, tabbed interfaces and hide and show things based on just the state of the URL and CSS, which is, I didn't even know that was a thing until like literally three days ago. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that either. CSS is like black magic to me. I I don't know why I have that block. It's got some crazy stuff in it. It's the thing I hate the most. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm, I do okay with it for the basic design stuff, but then you see these people that are doing like SVG with a whole bunch of CSS and like mm-hmm. animation stuff and like making this ridiculous 3D animated art with CSS only. And I'm like, yeah, that stuff yeah, is crazy. No, no, I'll just, uh-uh. I'll stick to my colored boxes over here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't do it with a bootstrap. I don't know how to do it. Right. It needs to come ready for me. Okay, Tim, you got a triumph or a fail this week? Well, I mean, my triumph's small. Work-related right now, we're, we're very deep in doing performance reviews for the entire company. So that's taken up a huge amount of my time being reviewed and reviewing others uh, and then doing you know goals for 2021, setting everyone's scorecards for... For the next for this com- this year, so but my real triumph is you know we were talking about uh, our goals for 2021. I talked about how I I want to understand the technology of Bitcoin uh, and blockchain, although I don't fully you know buy into it as a legitimate currency, even though you know people are making money off of it. And I remembered years ago I had sold off a, a, a fair amount of Bitcoin, probably way too early. I could be retired by now based off, off some of that I, I used to have <laughs> hindsight, right? But I'm like, oh, I have an old Coinbase account. I wonder what happened to that. So I logged into it in 2015 when I sold everything. I just left $15 in there. And now it's like $85. So yeah, I might you know buy a nice bottle of wine, nice. have a steak dinner or something. Yeah, I made did money. You, did you see the article about the guy who has like two more attempts left yes. to, to access his account? 
Yeah, I saw that article, and I, I that's actually what prompted me to go log into my account because I'm like, man, I wonder if I can still remember my login, and I have my password vault, so I logged that's in. I have a password vault too. Yeah, yeah. I was like, so, dumb guy. Do the do the accounts like self destruct or something? I don't, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I don't really know what happens. I just know he basically has two attempts left to get his password right. And there is some crazy dollar amount in his account with Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's cryptographically secure. There is no recovering it. If you don't have the password, then you don't have the password and your money is gone. Nobody else in the economy can get it either. And they tend to like generate the password. It's like it's a bunch of words. So it's like a bunch of random words. So it's like a, a sentence, you know, 20 words long and just some random words put together. So it's like, if you, yeah, there's no way you're going to memorize it. So I you, don't know it, how people don't have password vaults. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. I don't know any of my passwords. Yeah, I don't even know my usernames. I generate <laughs> usernames too randomly. Like I click the password and I put that in my username. Hmm. Yeah. It's probably good for <laughs> privacy. I'm like, well, if you hack one account, you're never going to get into the rest of them because it's not the same username. There you go. What about you, Adam? What you got? Um, you know, not a big thing, but I'm going to call it a triumph. So we've talked a couple of times now about my company's effort to port our application server from one language to another similar, but this time open source language. And uh, previously, I'd done a bunch of work to get data that... The closest thing I can compare it to is test coverage. It's not exactly test coverage, but it's it resembles that. And so now we're at the stage of this process where we're trying to have everything deployed by the end of January. So between when this podcast comes out and when the next episode comes out. Um, and uh, they are currently deployed to QA. All of our QA servers are on the new platform, but you know that getting customers to test something on QA is like pulling teeth. It's just not going to happen. So um, in an attempt to try to uh, get some reasonably good coverage of our tests, what we're going to do is rerun the whole testing process in QA with the whole team this time instead of just a couple of us. And in order to um, track that data in sort of real time, um, I figured out a that Google Sheets now has pivot tables. So I can uh, load all that data into a sheet and update it uh, pretty rapidly. And then the the pivot table shows us summary information about how different sections of the the app are uh, being tested, what has been tested and what hasn't and where the errors are. So um, it was just a a fun little find today and and, uh, it's going to make tomorrow afternoon a lot of fun. And what's a what's a pivot table? I, I'm vaguely familiar with the term. So, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. It's if you can think of like it has to do with like rotating the table, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So in in my case, I've got a bunch of columns. So like uh, my application is broken down into so I call it separate apps. We've got a column for app where we've got like admin in, interface our API and our public interface. And then within each of those, there's sections. And then within each section, there's like items. Those are the individual actions you can run. And then next to each of those, I show like a success count and error count. And um, what the pivot table does is you, it lets you select, okay, I want to, I want to break down the data, like have rollups at the app level, the module level and the section level 
and then the the data that I want you to roll up is the um, success count and error count, and it'll give me like percentages for those and mm. all kinds of stuff. There's, I mean, p- pivot tables are incredibly. It, it's possible to do incredibly complex mm. stuff with them, and I I know just enough to get myself in trouble. Yeah, but uh, gotcha. When cool. when it works well, it's very handy. I spent like an hour trying to do just spreadsheet formulas to to get the data out that I wanted to get, make it easy to see as we're testing. And about an hour into it, I went, you know, I bet a pivot table would do well for this. And I just like quick Google, Google Sheets, pivot table. And it's like, it's right there. They built it in. So magic. Nice. I used to use a program called Aquadata for all of my SQL um, querying and stuff. And they love actually, Aquadata. I love Aquadata. It's expensive. Sorry. It's expensive, but I love it. But what you could do in there is once your query runs, you basically could just right click and say, you know, open the pivot, um, like the pivot window or whatever. I think it's, it was pivot generator. I don't remember what it's called exactly. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would go in there and you basically drag and drop at that point. So you take mm-hmm. your columns and you start moving it to where you want it to be. And then you just right click on it and say, generate SQL. And it would generate the SQL for you in another window. So you could just rerun that continuously and it would give you the output. Sweet. So it was pretty awesome when you're doing big data builds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I guess let's move on to our main topic for the day. We're going to talk about origin stories. And um, I don't know. What do we want to say to, to introduce this? In the beginning, there was... <laughs> Everyone has an origin story. Mm-hmm. Everyone starts somewhere. You either die a hero or you live long <laughs> enough to become the villain. villain. Yeah. <laughs> Still working and, on my and villain. Tim is the villain. <laughs> I am. I've lived long enough. He's requesting haters daily. That's right. Need more haters. So yeah, uh, I guess the the general approach here is: How did you become the tech person that you are today, Tim? What are the the signposts, uh, the milestones, the things that put you where you are, technologically speaking, today? Yeah, so I can remember the very first time I ever saw a computer. I remember it clearly. So it's 1982. I'm a, a, a dorky <laughs> tween. And uh, I'm visiting one of my best friends, Stephen Shabetta. Uh, I, I thought they were rich uh, because they had a pool. Uh, <laughs> looking back now, they were just kind of lower middle class. But they had a pool. And uh, his dad was always like a tinkerer. Um, he, he ran a concrete company, but he had like, he uh, was always into tech and gadgets and like always at Radio Shack. And they bought a TRS-80. Does anyone remember the TRS-80? No. Shaking so. I remember the name. Yeah. So Radio Shack carried a computer, uh, which was a green phosphorus screen uh, with floppies. Later, they had hard drives, but it was like an early, early computer. It cost $399. At Radio Shack. Which it at can, the time was like a million dollars. Well, I mean, today's money, it's about $2,500. So, okay. yeah. Wow. And, and uh, it, you know, it wasn't very powerful. It, it didn't have a lot of programs. It, there wasn't a lot to support it. But I was, I was visiting my buddy. We were swimming and he's like, hey, you want to see our computer? I'm like, yeah, let's check this out because I'd never seen a computer before. And um, so we go downstairs in his basement and he boots it up. And after several minutes of boot up and some typing, and he, he puts in uh, the program Eliza. Did you Never heard of it. Eliza? So 
Eliza was, um, it's an early kind of an AI prototype, but it's really just, you would type something and it would pretend to talk to you, but all it would really do is kind of parrot back things to you. It would try to learn some phrases and stuff. You'd say, hi, Eliza, how are you? I'm fine. What is your name? And you put Tim and say, okay, Tim. And, you know, it would just take the input that you gave it and build off of that input. And I just thought, wow, that is, this is amazing. This is like, you know, uh, the original Siri. This is like, yeah, the original (laughs) Siri, Eliza. Yeah, that was called Eliza. And then he's like, oh, then you want to play a game? So he popped in Zork and we loaded up Zork. Do you remember Zork? I've heard of it. Yeah, I heard the name. So Zork, Zork was a text text only adventure from a company called Infocom, and so it starts out you you are at a uh, you're you're at the end of a road and there's a mailbox in front of a house and that's all you get is the sentence, and so you type open mailbox, and it would have a bit of text to say inside the mailbox is a letter, get letter, and so this entire game and you would kind of it was kind of like a, a, a sort of like a, a a mud or a, a dungeon. And so you, you like there's wizards in it and you fight dragons, but it's all text-based, zero graphics. And you have to like draw on a piece of paper, all the, and I thought, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And so I went out and bought a, a, a micro cornucopia magazine. So this is not internet days. You can't go online and look stuff up. You know, you, you, I found this magazine called micro cornucopia it was all about computers and some of it was about building electronics and stuff but it had programs and basic and stuff um so i would like get these magazines and i would just read basic code like all day long i i didn't ha- i didn't have a computer to try it on but i would just read basic <laughs> all day long and i would almost i would memorize all these basic programs i would just watch and see figure out how they work and i couldn't run them until i would go swimming again so we, you know, maybe once a week, we on Wednesdays we'd go over to Stephen's house, and and I'd swim as fast as I could. I'm like, can I use your computer? And so go downstairs, <laughs> and then for the next hour, an hour and a half, I'm typing in by hand all the basic code and running these little programs that would do something stupid, you know, like kind of like a, a fake asteroids game or something. And I was hooked. I was hooked. Uh, you know, I, I was going to be a hacker. I was going to be, I was going to be war games. Uh, Matthew Broderick hacking the Pentagon, you know, playing the game of war. That was, that was, I was totally going to be him. That's the only thing I wanted to do. And so, uh, get a little older, come to middle school. And now middle school, uh, we're just getting computers. So computers were not really a thing in school. And I lived, uh, I lived, I'm from Georgia, um, from a rural, very small, but we had like maybe a hundred kids in our graduating class. So it was very, small rural school, but they were just getting some Apple twos and Apple two E's in and no one knew anything about them. Teachers didn't know how to use them. They didn't give me any instruction. And I was all about, so I'm in the library every day, setting up the computers, installing stuff on it. Um, and I sort of became the, the middle school and high school's tech guy. I was nice. any, anything that needed to be done. I, I spent more time in the library than I did pretty much in any class. Hmm. Working on the computers and stuff. Yeah, because I would be sitting in like the middle of, you know, math or English and we'd hear, "Um, can I borrow Tim for a second? (laughs) (laughs) It's another teacher. The teacher's like, I need Tim. And like, like, what do you need? He said, well, they have a problem with the computers. So they'd pull me out of class and I would spend the rest of the day, you know, 
working on the computers for them. So I became the school's tech guy. And, uh, and again, I didn't have one at home. We, we didn't have enough money. We were, we were pretty modest in, in our income. My dad, you know, did, did manual labor jobs until later he started his own business, but yeah, we didn't, so we didn't have an apple at home, but had one at middle school. So I was like always like getting Nibble magazine. No, Nibble was like our, our early Apple magazine. And it would have uh, tons of basic programming. Some of it was like assembly language because it would they would try to do things <laughs> at the machine. So, yeah, I mean, typing in hex code, hexadecimal, <laughs> in order to feed into an assembly language compiler on an Apple. Yeah, that's, that's pretty hardcore, uh, particularly trying to debug that. But I mean, that's what I was doing like every day. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, and then my, so my dad, he had started a business. Um, we, my, my, my family, he manu- manufactured car cleaning products. So he was a bit of a chemist and he would make car soap and car wax. And, you know, we had trucks all over the Southeast and would sell. And so I officially was the warehouse guy. That was my teenage years job was I was the warehouse manager and I would move boxes and carry stuff around and move chemicals. Uh, but we had a K pro two. So K-Pro... Nope, don't know what that is. K-Pro is... I'll put a link into it. K-Pro was like considered the world's first portable computer, but they actually called it a luggable. The thing was the size of a suitcase. It had a metal case and the, the uh, keyboard would, would collapse into the, 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 the top of the case and it would clip and it had a handle on the back of the keyboard and so you could carry it around but it weighed about 60 70 pounds wow um, oh my goodness and again green phosphorus screen no color and uh and my dad had that to like you know track payroll and um, a, a friend of mine he he was a bit of a programmer and he wrote a program in dbase 2 which was an early kind of database kind of language and so you had all these kind of text screens with x's and stuff so he wrote that and then he printed out all the code onto you know dot matrix printer green bar uh sheet and printed out all the code and so you know he wasn't going to maintain it so in it anytime we needed something i would pull out that sheet and read all the code and then if my dad needed new features i'd add it and so that was really my first. It was I wasn't getting paid for that. That was sort of my that was my fun time. I was getting paid to <laughs> carry boxes, but that's what I did. I would add, so you know, DBase two on a CPM machine. This is not even a DOS machine, not even Windows. This is CPM, an early um, uh, operating system um, that I just I, I just loved it. So I just sit there and code all day long, all night long. I never went anywhere. I had no social life. I stayed home every weekend <laughs> on this, on this nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Is it bad? Like I want to go do this. Like I never did any of that. So I'm just like, this sounds so interesting to me. It's nostalgia for me, but it's yeah. like, I was, when we were, you know, talking about this, I was like Googling some, some links so I could put in the show notes for what these things are so people can visualize it. But I found like on eBay, like $200, I can buy an old K-Pro machine and I seriously, <laughs> seriously want to buy it just for <laughs> the, the nostalgia factor of it. Um, and, and then, so again, this is pre-internet, but there was a thing called a BBS. Mm-hmm. Anybody remember oh. you know, that bulletin board? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, bo- I'm a little familiar with them. I wasn't a heavy user, but I'm, yeah, I'm aware. Yeah. So 
back before the internet, you know, you had a, a modem that actually hooked up to your phone line, and it was a, a bod. It would make audible, you know, noises, and that's how it would talk to other computers. But um, you'd have people that would dedicate a phone line to and hook a computer up to it, and you have a bulletin board system, so you could call in to someone's computer. So there was a, a magazine called Computer Shopper. Uh, and, and Computer Shopper was, you know, super thick, probably like six, seven hundred pages. It was a super thick magazine. And the, like the last quarter of the magazine was just all phone numbers. <laughs> so state, and of course, this is, you know, everything was long distance outside of our area code of 404. So you tried to oh, find... sweet a, area code. Yeah, you tried to try a 404. Uh, well, this is before... You know the internet, so four four meant nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> In fact, I didn't put the two and two together. Do you just said so? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the Greater Atlanta area is the four hundred four. So I, I'd find a four hundred four area code, and and call. And of course, most of the time it was busy, and so you would just have a war dialer that would just constantly call and call and call. Or I'd put in a list of BBSs, and finally you get a connection code, and then you come up. And again, it's all text. There's no very little graphics, although later on they did sort of get somewhat graphic-y, but it was like using, you know, ASCII kind of mm-hmm. graphics, different color text. And uh, and you could, like, play games on it. You could, like... It wasn't really email, but you could leave messages. And so uh, my dad's business was growing, and so we had, like, six phone lines at the at the business. So after work, I would always, like, leave the computer running and then hook it up to one of the phone lines. And so I was running my own Wildcat BBS, which I, I thought, wow, I'm so interconnected. Right? <laughs> I could talk to one person at a time. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I, I'll put a YouTube video of like running a BBS as a video of a guy who's gone back and like rebuilt that. Um, and so that was to, it. Go ahead. I said, it's funny to think about a time when people considered uh the cost of phone calls like i remember dialing into aol and having to pay phone bills and now i'm like i've never even considered the cost of a of a phone call in the last like 10 years i don't even know if calling international costs more than calling continental like those concepts don't mean anything anymore right or or just the idea of 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 not being connected online right yeah 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 so and then so after I graduated, I went went to school. I moved to New York City and uh New York City to Brooklyn and didn't didn't really get to do much programming there. I was kind of busy struggling and surviving, but I did as a side kind of, you know, put together some PCs with, you know, 386, 486 processors, cutting edge stuff and uh hooking those up. And then after I left left school and moved back home, I, I don't know, in my 20s, I kind of thought I was too cool to code. You know, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be <laughs> a musician, an actor. I wanted to, you know, do something cool. None of that worked. I never... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I need to pay the bills now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I was single. And, and my, my parents' business was doing extremely well. And my, my, my dad actually kind of wanted to retire. So um, I wound up mostly running that business for him and so i was too busy doing that to really do anything much coding wise but uh after i got married uh in 1999 um you know my dad decided to sell the business so he sold it and then you know 
because it's a family business, he split the you know the the proceeds with with me and my sister, and the, the people that bought it kind of kept me on one day a week to just kind of help just be there because my dad was leaving, so I was sort of you know uh, consulting with them, and so I was working one day a week, making actually pretty good money for you know uh, a a newly married uh, you, you know guy in his twenties, and uh, so I, I just was like just wasting all my time like, you know of course you're newly married we, we spend a lot of fun days together doing fun <laughs> stuff that married people do <laughs> but, reading uh, books and, yes. and playing the piano yes. writing poetry to each other arm wrestling <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we started playing this game called uh, Ultima Online you know, Ultima Online was like one of the first uh, MMOs, a massive, uh, a, a, you know, massively on, online game RPG, and I was just hooked on this game. I, and but I, I wanted to know how it worked because you know, coming from a BPS where everything can only talk one to one, the idea of these thousands of people all playing the same game at the same time was just fascinating to me. So there were. People had written this emulator software where you could host your own server, and so I, st- I started building this myself. And, and then that had a scripting language. I don't know if what it'd be like. It wasn't. It was a, kind of a bit like JavaScript or, v, or VB script um, called Sphere Server, and so just started coding that and making stuff in building my own version of Ultima Online with some other folks, and we, you know, we had probably two, 300 people would play on our server. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, so that kind of got me back into coding. And then, but the biggest thing that got me back into coding was I, I would start taking some classes. I didn't take, I, I wasn't a computer science major. I, I, mine was business and language arts. Um, but I, we found out we were having a kid. Yep. Changes right? everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. So it's like, I, I realized, all right, we're about, we're going to have a kid. And I'm I'm kind of you know this you know car wash soap making business is not something I like and my dad's getting rid of it and I don't really want to do that. I, I realize that you know when you have a kid that kind of settles you down. Whatever you're doing at that point in your life, it's kind of like what you're going to be doing for a good little while. Um, so I said I really really want to be a programmer, and so I was like looking. I was like seriously like meditating and praying and just like I gotta find what I what I wanted was I wanted to find a company that was local to where we were and uh, I wanted to find a company that was a startup and I wanted to find a company that would eventually um, kind of like go IPO and or sell and you know and kind of get out of it and so I, I found an ad for cold fusion I didn't know cold fusion I knew ASP I knew Pearl um, I knew basic um, ASP classic, not .NET, um, and, and a few other languages, but I didn't know much about Cold Fusion. So I started like checking it out. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And they, they were looking for a Cold Fusion programmer. So I, I went and interviewed and I didn't get the job. And I was like, no. yeah, but I, no, I did get the job. I, I was just bummed. And it's like, because it was everything I wanted. I talked to the owner and he's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're just starting out, but we're planning on getting bigger. You know, we're going to go IPO or sell or whatever. I'm like, this is exactly what I want. You know, and there's stock options and stuff like that. I'm like, okay. So I, I kept contacting. Him. So after they rejected me, I went to the owner 
I went above the guy who interviewed me. It was JJ, by the way. Um, <laughs> I was like, who, who? <laughs> it was JJ. And uh, he, he hired, uh, he hired instead of me. I think it was David Clymer. Oh, that was a good hire. Yeah, it was a good when hire. When you said JJ, was that JJ Allaire? No, no. I wish you were JJ Allaire. No. <laughs> uh, so just, just somebody, that, your, guy. somebody that Carol guy. would know. Yeah, yeah Carol yeah. would know him, but okay. nobody, else, nobody else will know him. And uh, so I talked to the, uh, the owner of the company and I said, I said, listen, I'm working one day a week and all I do is code on the other days. I said, uh, I didn't tell him about the arm wrestling with the wife, but I said, <laughs> <laughs> Poetry. I, said I was like, this is what I want to do. I will, I will come, I will work for free. I said, I work four days a week for you for free. Just let me come into the office. Let me learn what you guys are doing. And I, you know, I, he's like, you know, he's like, well, he says, I like what you, you know, I like what you're saying, but I have to pay you. I'm like, why? He's like, well, because I don't pay you anything. Then there's nothing for you to lose if you leave. I'm like, okay. So I was basically a paid intern, you know, working for yeah. minimum wage. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start. I mean, I've really been at that company ever since. 2013, we got bought by uh, Constellation Software, which is like the third uh, largest software company in Canada. And uh, got a bit of a payout for that. And yeah, I've been coding ever since and just... It's the only thing I've really ever wanted to do. So it sounded like when you had a kid and you were settling down, you headed straight for the web. Yep. You did you ever have a period where you were coding for desktop software? No. Okay. Mm-mm. No, just the web. I mean, I had read an article when I was a teenager about hypertext. Which I thought, which I thought was the most revolutionary idea ever. You have to wear sunglasses <laughs> while you're coding it. Yeah, hypertext. I was like, this is amazing. We can have a semantic web of ideas, and everything could all be linked together. And I, I was like, that just blew my mind. So yeah, I'm like, the web is where it's at. You have to wear your denim jacket. That's right. And your extremely gelled hair. Oh, mine still is, but <laughs> well, it doesn't wash out when you put that much in it. <laughs> Did you ever uh, play any of the um, Sierra games? King's oh, yeah. Quest, Legion of Larry, Space mm-hmm. Quest, I think. Yep, all when, of them. When you were talking about the text-based Zorg or... Zork. 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 And talking about like, there's a mailbox. Open the mailbox. You have mail. It, it was very much those kind of games where it was visual, but you had to tell the character to do everything. So you were like, place a bet at the blackjack table and then ask you how much. And then you tell it how much. And you want to say like, pick up that bottle and says you're not close enough so then you have to walk over and you have to pick up the bottles that's like some of my earliest memories of playing uh on the computer is, is uh, king's quest yeah i think gaming is what gets a lot of people into computers it's sort of the uh the gateway drug and then you wind mm-hmm. up you know doing insurance software that's really boring <laughs> <laughs> so you can play games so you can free time <laughs> and then you come home and you don't want to see a computer ever again you're just like if i see one more computer i am so <laughs> i just want to go blacksmithing <laughs> yep yeah this is the thing that i'm enjoying the most about this is like i know you guys i've known you guys yeah. for years but i we didn't have an excuse to have this conversation i'm loving this like get to find out a little bit more about who you yeah. are can't wait to hear Ben's. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, when he tells a story about the time he spent in the circus, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> he was he was a Cirque du Soleil strongman. <laughs> well, when Tim was talking about hooking computers up with modems, oh, I was thinking about uh, the movie Hackers, and there's a scene in Hackers where they're over at uh, the woman's house, 
And someone's like, whoa, what is that? A 36.6 baud modem? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Risk architecture is going to change everything. <laughs> Risk is good. <laughs> I have seen that one. <laughs> Yay. That movie's so good. So good. It's my favorite of all the hacker programmer genre movies oh, yeah. by far. I'm overdue for a rewatch. I got to meet I got to meet the guy. Uh, one of the hobbies that we picked up in a band, we, we were into robot battles. Um, every year at Dragon Con, they have uh, where people build little fighting robots and kind of like the TV show. In fact, oh, actually, wow, so, yeah, so actually several people from that are now on that TV show. But uh, there's a guy, his name is, I forget his last name. His, name, his first name's Dale. That's all I know. But he makes some really cool robots. But he was the inventor of the Hayes Modem Protocol. So Hayes Modem was like the original, you know, baud modem mm-hmm. uh, connection, and he wrote that whole protocol. So uh, got to is that, So I mean, I know they sped up over the years, but is that still the iconic connecting sound? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, if your computer was like your connection was slow, you would actually pick up the phone and listen to see if you know if there mm-hmm. was still like beeps going on and then <laughs> yep. and then hang it up and you really hope it didn't drop your connection. Yep. There're going to be people listening to this that literally have no idea what you're talking I about. I know. That's what try that's just what's amazing to me. Like Carol's this <laughs> yeah. is right right over her head. A lot of it is. Like you were mentioning years and I was like mm. you weren't born yet. <laughs> Not there yeah, for I, that one. <laughs> the other night at the dinner table I was explaining modems to my children. Like how it made a noise and, and the, like the original modems, you took the handset mm-hmm. off of the phone and you put it on a little device that's plugged into your computer and it had a speaker that would sit next to the mouthpiece of the phone and a microphone that would sit next to the mm-hmm. earpiece and it would talk over the phone to other computers using like beeps and, and noises and they just blew their little minds. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to the radio the other morning and they were doing like this millennial challenge thing and the question that nobody could answer is what was a dial tone? that's terrifying yeah like so you talk with the millennial thing um they were asking like young people millennials and younger about the save icon the save icon is a Mm -hmm. floppy disk right yeah but most of them have never actually ever seen or used a floppy disk so (laughs) so they ask well what is that why is it like that why does it look that way? They're like, it's just, it's just safe. Yeah. Well, what is it though? What is it a picture know. of? It's a gray <laughs> What would you like for it to be? <laughs> I don't know. It's like a little door. I don't know what that is. Is that a door? With a, I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's like I saw, I, I, I'm sure this was a meme, but someone had a photo of a, a floppy disk and the caption was like, my kid asked me if I 3D printed the save button. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good. I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna have to yes. like 3D print a floppy disk, and give it to them as a save <laughs> button. Okay, well, that sounds like a good time to move on. So, Ben, why you is who you is? So, uh, as a kid, I didn't really play around with uh, computers very early on. I, I was never one of those kids that took apart electronics and built electronics or got computer magazines. Um, 
I used a computer. We had a computer in our garage, which I used to play King's Quest quite often. And uh, I think I had some sort of flight simulator also. King's Quest was awesome. King's Quest was so good. <laughs> so good. It was, and I tell you, like, I really enjoyed it more in the early days when it was much lower fidelity. And then as the versions of King's Quest came out, they become much more higher fidelity and like point to move things around. And I think it lost a lot of its charm. But that charm was in the story, right? It was, it was, it was just a good time. But so, I mean, that was really my exposure to computers was just as, as entertainment. Uh, I didn't really think about wanting to use them as any kind of a career path. Um, I actually wanted to be in the FBI for a long time, uh, primarily because I watched the X-Files. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can and, see you going FBI. Oh, it was so much. This is like how nerdy it was. Me and uh, my best friend, Luke, we would sit in our respective homes on our phone watching the X-Files together, like not saying anything, just like having each other there watching the X-Files, enjoying it. And uh, I, I always wanted to You could hear to be, each other gasp. <laughs> so, you know, the FBI was definitely the path that I wanted to be on for for a while. And then, um, and that started- hey God, Luke, it's a, it's a smoking man episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, what uh, does he want? It wasn't in the stars. Apparently you need to be- I think they mostly accept lawyers and other very well-educated people. I imagine it depends on what you want to do in the FBI. I suppose so. But anyway, I um, I slowly started to get interested in in the web itself, you know, first as just a consumer, but then more just uh, curiosity. And um, I started to poke around on some HTML tutorials. Uh, there was a website, I think it was called HTML Goodies, was one that I uh, used to read all the time. Um, but I, I didn't really, it wasn't anything that I followed very passionately. Uh, and uh, one of my friends at school, this guy, Doug, had been taking a, I think it was a Pascal class in high school. And uh, it sounded very interesting. So I signed up for the precursor to that, which was QBasic, which was a very early programming language, like line numbers. You could tell it to go to line 10, go to line 20, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've never and, heard of that. It's, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, and and it, was, it was kind of the most amazing thing I had ever seen, actually. It was, there was, I had always, I was always creative as a kid. Like I like to draw and I like to try and do things with the woodworking, but I was never particularly good at it. And this idea that I could type stuff onto my screen and then make this world come alive on the, uh, on the, the rendering, it just, it, it blew my mind and it felt, hugely empowering in a way that nothing before that had felt like I could create uh, like I could with QBasic, which I mean, uh, not to blow it out of proportion. I mean, what I was doing was printing text on a mm. screen or like occasionally I would print a line if the tutorials in class got pretty advanced. Uh, but it was just, it was, it was super empowering. Um, but I, I'll tell you like one of my earliest memories from QBasic was that there was, I think it was like you had subroutines versus functions and it had to do with whether or not it accepted arguments. I think a subroutine didn't accept arguments, but a function did. Hmm. And the, the syntax rules for QBasic were that if it didn't accept arguments, you couldn't use parentheses. So you couldn't have like method name, open parentheses, close parentheses with no arguments. It would, it would be a syntax error. And I remember thinking like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, I want to have parentheses. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm making a function call. It doesn't matter that it doesn't have arguments. It should have parentheses. And, uh, 
you know, in hindsight, you could tell how violently uh, against things like formatting uh, linting tools, which uh, I am now today. Uh, that was clearly a very deep-seated uh, desire to have <laughs> things my own way. We're, is it all your Cubasic was in one like, very <laughs> narrow, narrow column? <laughs> <laughs> the Ben Nadell code formatting? But uh, so, so I took this class. It was it was super eye opening, and I immediately knew that, that this is this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Like absolutely no doubt, this was this was the path that I wanted to be on. And uh, so I started to experiment with JavaScript. I started to learn. I think like that was just really really new. Um, my I had a, a an art teacher at the time. I th- think her name was Mrs. Wall, who saw how much I was enjoying computers, and she actually created a. I don't know if you call it like a study program, but basically I had a class that was just me and her. And, uh, and it was my opportunity to start to learn something called Macromedia Director, which mm-hmm. was, I don't know if it was a precursor to Macromedia Flash or if it was like a parallel product that was used, I think, to create interactive CDs, that kind of stuff. Um, so I started to play around with that. And uh, again, just like, it was it was so exciting. It was all just so empowering this ability to create these uh, so silly but just like online little worlds of of expression um so i ended up eventually uh, going to school for computer science and uh i uh side story i i applied to the school of liberal arts for computer science my mother wanted me to have a very well-rounded education and uh, some sort of clerical error. I was accepted into the School of Engineering for Computer Science. They both had uh, <laughs> degrees. And so when I got to school and I found out what had happened, I asked my advisor at the time what the difference was between the computer science degree through the two schools. And she was like, well, if you do it through engineering, you have to take more of the uh, core curriculum for engineering, like electrical, uh, digital logic, and learning about some AND and NAND and NOR gates, that kind of stuff. And uh, and then also you don't have a foreign language requirement. I was like, done. Done. Sold. <laughs> End of discussion. Oh my God, my mother was furious at the idea <laughs> of me not having a liberal arts education. Really? Uh, but it, it was like basically the same curriculum. I, I had to take more credit. So I think it, it evened out. But um, uh, school, so the curriculum there was mostly things like assembly language and algorithms and C. And uh, there was this one class, I think it was called Intro to Web Development by this guy, Professor Couch. And it was super popular and it was always, uh, always, uh, I don't want to say sold out. I don't know what there, it was always like filled up, like you couldn't get into yeah. the course. Full, and I yeah. remember yeah. I took a, I signed up for a class in cryptography, I think. And two days into it, it was so far over my head, all this like Alice and Bob and people listening to conversations in between. I had no idea what was going on. And my advisor contacted me and she said, oh, someone dropped out of that intro to web course. Would you be interested in signing up? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> Get me out of here. Yeah, it was, I, was like, I couldn't understand anything. And this guy, Professor Couch, he's just, he was just one of those people who absolutely loves what they do and it's like you could in 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 every sentence this just just like unbounded joy is is present he was you know he would make himself giggle and he's telling stories and he's throwing stuff and just uh just a delightful person and 
it was a it was just a class about web development, you know, CSS and a little bit of JavaScript. I was it even it was like really really basic rudimentary CSS at the time, and uh, I, I just like reaffirmed everything that I had felt with QBasic that that programming was just everything that I wanted out of life. And and now web development was even more specifically like this is where I wanted to go. The web seems so uh, exciting, and it, it it took all of the uh, feelings of empowerment that being able to write code and print text on the screen, like now being able to have some sort of a web page. I mean, that was like taking it to another level. Yeah, um, this ability to create, and uh, so I just started to get more and more into it, and. Um, I took a, signed up for a database class and ironically, I almost failed out of my database class. I think I got like a D plus on my first test. And I, I think I maybe ended up the class with a C plus average. And uh, today uh, there's almost nothing that gives me more joy than writing SQL. It's, mm. it's, one of the, it. it's, it's the best. Yeah. It's one of the most satisfying things yeah. I can do with my time is figure out why something's not running performantly, figure out where indexes are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, I did get during one of the summers, I got an internship at this company, Cocopelli new media, and they just happened to be using uh, cold fusion 4.5. And I had never heard of it before. Um, I had dabbled a little bit with, uh, ASP classic and PHP in various, uh, cl- courses at school and it was okay. But then I tried this cold fusion code and it was it to me at the time felt just like a night and day difference. It was, it was like everything that I wanted programming to be without all of the uh, friction that I felt with some of the other programming languages. And uh, I mean, that was in 19, 1999, I think. So I've been coding in cold fusion since then. So that's 21 years. And uh, cold fusion is today for me, as thrilling as it was uh, back in 1999 when I first discovered it. Um, especially, you know, at the time it was Macromedia, Cold Fusion. Macromedia was eventually purchased by Adobe. Uh, and now I program in Lucy CFML, which is an open source engine for a Cold Fusion compatible code. And uh, I don't know, I just, I, I wake up every day excited to be a programmer. And um, I, there's, there's been times in my life where I actually feel guilty about that. I, I feel not guilty. I feel self-conscious of how excited I am to be a programmer every day because I know that there are a lot of people who aren't in love with their jobs. And, you know, it's a privilege. It, it, it's a hundred percent a privilege. There are people in this world, a non-trivial number of people who are waiting for Friday to roll around so that their weekend can start. And I wake up every day excited to do what it is that I get paid for. And it's, it's, it's something that I, you know, we're here in the company of friends. Like that's not something that I tell everybody mm. because it's not, that's not what a lot of people want to hear. You just told all 100 of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> My mom knows now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, I hope I, I covered some of the, some of the finer points there. I sort of rambled a little bit, but I just love it. So, so Ben, you know what Tag sold me? Uh, I, this isn't a Cold Fusion podcast because a lot, of, all of us have done Cold Fusion at some point, but we've done a lot of other things too. But when I saw CF Query mm. and how you could write a SQL statement 
that looked like a SQL statement. Yes. That rather than some long parameter string like I had to do at ASP, I was like, oh man, that this language has got something right there. Your that eyes that are was big. A, yeah. yeah, that was like, oh wow, that that looks fantastic. It, it definitely the language had its problems and growing pains, yep. but that made it, that right there. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think about obviously some apps are much more complicated than other apps, but for the most part, I think a lot of apps are just glorified front ends to databases, mm-hmm. right? They're not True. doing super heavy business logic. It's rendering records, allowing people to update records, creating new records, correlating records. And, and I think about the fact that... And reports. And reports. And I think about your app as a glorified CRUD application, CRUD being create, read, update, delete, that wouldn't you want a language that gives you the best ergonomics around writing SQL. And I don't know how the CF query tag doesn't sell everybody. I don't know how people see that and don't think to themselves, oh. that's what I want in my life. I think it did sell everybody yeah. in 1998 you know, <laughs> when, when it, it was one of like two languages where you could do that. You know, Now that it's 2020-ish and you can have pretty close to raw SQL in every language or just about every language. Uh, it's not, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. It, it was certainly uh, early to that whole making hard things easy mm-hmm. um, approach to, to app server platforms, whatever you want to call it. Um, I get a lot of credit for that. And one one thing you, you talked about that really took me back was the whole, the Q basic and the, 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 the line numbers. Yeah. Were, were you ever the guy? Because I was always this guy. I'd go into a store if they had any computer that was sitting there like plugged in that was like <laughs> for demo. I would control C, whatever they were doing. <laughs> and I would what pull up basic. What does control C do? So control C, typically they would have like some little advertisement on there like you know the price of the computer or you know okay. hey buy me you know, they, they would have it on the screen so control c would basically kill whatever program was running uh, okay, sometimes okay. there's another key so that was the, that was the kill switch it's kind of and like could, control delete for the command line exactly uh, yeah gotcha and so you, so i could drop to the to to uh the, the the basic or q basic terminal and then i would just type a little program that was like uh print tim was here on line 10, go to 10. And then it would, just, <laughs> it would just scroll infinitely down the screen. It would just constantly scroll. Tim was here, Tim was here, Tim was here, Tim was here. Every computer in all of middle Georgia was, Tim was there. like, oh, Tim was here, obviously. I, I almost, I feel like I almost certainly did that. <laughs> I bet you did. Oh, you know what I missed is a whole segment on uh, the TI-82. Did anyone ever program oh, the yeah. calculator? Yeah, the calculator. That was a huge. Yep. That was in high school. Uh, I don't know what the kids are using these days, but when I was in high school, we had these big scientific calculators, and uh, you could program in it using I don't know what it was, some very rudimentary programming language. I don't even know if it had it was variables. Basic. It, it was just. It was so. It was so much fun. You could draw little pictures. You know, like you actually mm-hmm. turn pixels on and off to draw pictures, and uh, I, I don't think it had variables. It had matrices and i think you could store mm. values in the mate like you know a1 a2 b1 b2 that kind of stuff and then you'd have to just remember what things reference what that was that was really awesome i totally had forgotten about that another thing you talked about that that struck a chord with me was your story about your teacher like the, the one particularly the one who like created sort of this personal oh, yeah. course for you 
and then the other teacher in college who was so excited. Um, just yeah, looking back, you know, I, I look, I, I felt like I was manipulating my teachers to let me use the computer because I was seriously, <laughs> I was seriously like a drug addict when it came to, it came to, I wanted all I wanted to do was spend time with those computers. Yeah. Looking back, I realized they were they were nurturing me. Yeah. They they saw it. They they and they saw the potential there. And I, I think that if you have a teacher who truly loves their subject and truly cares about their students, that is the most transformative thing in a young person's life is to have a teacher like that. If, only if you have one, it's all it takes. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, again, as usual, if you would do us the favor of sharing this podcast with a friend, we would really appreciate it. Uh, it would also be a huge favor if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts. That five is the stars. only place that, yeah, again, the bug is still there. We're working on it, but you it's can only rate us five stars. Don't bother trying anything else. You know, we'll let you know when they get it fixed. Uh, the I have looked other places, Google Podcasts and Stitcher and, and other places. I can't find anywhere else other than Apple Podcasts to rate us. So they always every other podcast I ever listen to says rate us where you get your podcast, but I can't find any other place. So it lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Rate us if you if you can find a place and if you're feeling generous, and we would really appreciate it. Um, as always, we welcome your topic suggestions or your feedback on Twitter and on Instagram. That in both of those places we are working code pod. And until next time, thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. In my generation and and, uh, probably... I would say Tim, you and I are, are overlapping generations, but not uh, same, yeah. not not different or, or same, but whatever. That was entirely going to get cut from the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> no idea what you just said, other than it is, it's not. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's why it's going to get cut. Apparently, uh, re- uh, rats and squirrels can survive falls from an arbitrary height. Yeah, they can. It's pretty crazy. And and like pretty much anything when you get down that small, spiders and ants and you couldn't throw a rabbit out of a 30th story window and not that I've tried. <laughs> I, I just, I don't. <laughs> and Ben is stuck on a rabbit. What was, what was the scene in UHF where they have a show where the guy is just like is continually throwing animals out the window? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs>